0: morning. The title of this morning's message is Living in Something Better. This morning we will be continuing in our study of the book of Hebrews and we will begin to look into the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And in the 12th chapter of Hebrews the author continues to encourage his Hebrew baby believers that they too can live a life of faith and faithfulness even in the midst of great suffering and persecution. Just like the old covenant saints had done. All of chapter 11 describes those who lived their life in faith and trust in their God and in his word to them. All of them manifested the glory and goodness of Yahweh God through their lives. Their lives were a testimony to the love of and faithfulness of their God especially in the midst of hardship and persecution. And this was the message that the Hebrew baby believers needed to hear. They needed to hear that the old covenant champions of faith lived and died in faith by trusting in God and His word for them. Each life had its own specific challenges. But each believer was still able to bring forth the manifestation of God's character and goodness. In such a way that other people could see the truth. That Yahweh God was real. And that he was presently and faithfully involved in whatever they were going through. Believers the Old Testament believers, and the New Testament believers, (laughs) they never go through hardship or persecution by themselves. And throughout the Old Testament, Yahweh God was always reminding them of this truth. We can see this truth in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. I have it for you in the literal standard version so that you can see that God spoke only in the past and present tense. Hebrew does not speak in a future tense. So everything they heard was either a past or a present tense, thereby helping his people to believe him and his word to them. In other words, everything they heard sounded like a finished work. God never said, I will do this. He said, either I am doing this or it's already done. And if I am doing it, it's as good as done. <laughs> so everything they heard sounded like a finished work. And that's because that's how we get our faith to operate. I can't tell you the difference in my own personal life when it comes to the power of grace and what it does for my ability to rest. I'm not trying to get God to do something. Have you been there? You're like, "Mm, I'm going to believe really hard. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's self-effort, and it's useless. (laughs) But when we know that it's already done, when we know that he's already said yes and amen, when we know that everything has already been provided and that we can do whatever he says we can do, then we have no fear. If I know my healing is absolutely here, present in me, in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I don't have to try to work up faith which is really what a lot of the church wants you to do. You get your scriptures out there and you work up that faith. (laughs) No. (laughs) Because there's lots of scriptures that will hurt your faith. (laughs) You don't know how to understand them. (laughs) We have to start from the fact that it's a finished work. It's easy to believe in something that's already done. When the one who's saying that it's already done is God himself. And we know he can't lie. There is no shadow of turning in him. There is no deceit. There is no darkness. Whatever he says is true is in fact true. And now, thus saith Yahweh, your creator, O Jacob, and your fashioner, O Israel, do not be afraid, for I have already redeemed you. That's it. I have called on your name or called you by name and you are mine. When you pass into the waters, not (laughs) if. when you pass into the waters, I am with you and into the floods. They do not overflow you. When you go into the fire, You are not burned, and a flame does not burn against you or consume you. Just like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fire had no power to actually do them harm. They went into a real fiery fire, (laughs) but the fire was not able to harm, and that's because there was a very real and very powerful fourth man in the fire with them pre-incarnate Christ. Yahweh God was always their very present help in times of trouble. All they had to do was to believe his word to them and then do whatever he specifically told them to do. And then their faith and trust in God would bring forth the manifestation of God's presence, power, and promise. We can see this truth in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. I have it for you in the Passion Translation with some little extra helps in red. (laughs) Now faith, which is being fully persuaded by God of the truth of his written and spoken word, brings our hopes, our confident expectations of good into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. When God convinces us of the truth of his word to us, then we don't need to physically see something in order to receive it in the natural realm. Because we have already seen the reality of his existence, the finished workness, (laughs) the finished work. We've already seen it with our eyes of faith. He says it's done. It is, in fact, really done we have taken God at his word because we know he cannot lie and he cannot deceive. Whatever he says is true is in fact true because God is entirely trustworthy. Verse 2. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. In other words, they were commended for taking God at his word. God speaks, you say, I agree. (laughs) I believe. Just like Abraham, who believed God's word to him and was counted as being in right standing with God and who also fully expected to see the fulfillment of God's promises to him either on this earth or in eternity. Then, in the rest of chapter 11, the author works his way through many Old Testament saints who were famous having faith in God's word, so much so that they acted on his word. And when they did, God's presence and power manifested in a variety of spectacular ways. The last two verses of chapter 11 set up the Hebrew baby believers to begin recognizing that they are called to live in something better than what the old covenant saints and heroes lived in. We can see this in verses 39 and 40, again in the Passion Translation. These were the true heroes commended for their faith yet they lived in hope without receiving the fullness of what was promised them This is not talking about a personal promise God made to anyone This is about the promise of the Messiah and the new covenant and those folks just simply didn't live long enough <laughs> to see it <laughs> That's all he's talking about there They could not receive what had not yet been provided by God's grace. What was promised was the Messiah and his new covenant realities, new covenant spiritual realities. The Hebrew baby believers were very carnal in their thinking, and they tended to understand things in a material way rather than in a spiritual way, which is why we have the book of Hebrews. (laughs) But the old covenant believers still had relationship with God through the truth of his written word and through the confirming voice of the Holy Spirit. But they were not yet made perfect in righteousness. Verse 40, but now God has invited us to live in something better than what they had, faith's fullness. This is so that they could be brought to finished perfection alongside of us. Finished work perfection. In our spirit, Now, God's still working on the outside <laughs> so that what we are and who we are shows up in and through our life. The Old Testament saints could not enter into their spiritual perfection and righteousness until after Jesus came and paid the sin debt of all mankind. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the new creation, perfection, and righteousness is now available to whosoever will believe on Jesus. I spent years praying, God, can't you just fix me? (laughs) Can't you just make me perfect? Because that's what I wanted. I wanted to never fail. I wanted to always please my father. I had these expectations of myself. And of course, I was never good enough. I always needed a good spanking. (laughs) And I was the one handing them out. (laughs) Not my father. The fullness of God's grace, God's absolutely free, loving kindness, is now available through the fullness of faith that Jesus works in us. Not what I work or try to produce on my own. I can't produce faith. I receive it. It's of him. It's not of me. I can't open my eyes. (laughs) Jesus has to do it for me. Everything is about him and what he has already done. And this fullness of faith comes into our hearts when we finally understand just how finished the work of salvation is and who it is that finished it. Because it's not us. It's always him. It's only when we are fully convinced that Jesus alone has completely fulfilled all the will of his father in bringing forth the new covenant through his own blood we really begin to enter into God's grace of peace and rest when we know it's done we can stop trying to do what Jesus has already done i don't have to beg god for hours and hours please fix me please fix me please fix me <laughs> i did that a lot <laughs> He's already fixed me. I just need the knowledge of that truth so that I can sit down in Christ and rest. And the Hebrew baby believers hadn't yet entered into that rest, even though they were born-again believers. That's why the author of Hebrews sent them this letter. (laughs) They needed to know and understand that Jesus had provided a better. Salvation through a better covenant that was provided through a better sacrifice so that they could begin to live in the grace of their something better through faith. And that something better is the new covenant that brings us into sonship with God, our Father. We're not servants. We're not servants. God's not looking for servants. He's looking for people who want to become family. He wants to make us all his sons. So that we, through him, can rule and reign over this earth. But in order for them to be able to live in this something better as sons of God, they needed to grow up in their knowledge and understanding of both Jesus and the new covenant. Because they were Jewish. (laughs) They were very, very Jewish and when you're that Jewish, when that's your identity and your ethnicity and everything about you is about temple worship and Moses and offerings and everything else, the doing to become, it is hard to change your mind. In fact, you can't do it without Jesus. Now, growing up in our spiritual understanding can be just as painful. You wouldn't think so, (laughs) but it can be just as painful as growing up physically, mentally, and emotionally, especially emotionally. In fact, it's very hard for a believer to become mature in their faith apart from also becoming mature in their emotions. Over the years, I've seen many believers allow themselves to be governed and led by their emotions instead of being led and governed by the Holy Spirit and the written Word of God. And that's because immature believers don't understand the value of persevering in faith through painful circumstances. We always want our faith to eliminate the painful circumstances. And sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes we have to go through, not around. An immature believer will always look for what is easiest for themselves. That's a very good hint that they're immature. (laughs) What's easiest for themselves, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Whereas a mature believer always looks to Jesus and his will for them. Which brings us now to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I have it for you in both the King James and the Passion Translation. and We're going to try to wiggle them back and forth. (laughs) I have it in the King James because it's so very familiar to our ears. And then I have it in the Passion Translation to help us expand our understanding. The Passion Translation seeks to bring out nuances from the Aramaic Translation of the New Testament that are not easily discerned from the Greek Translation. And it's very user-friendly. I really like that about the Passion. Hebrews 12, 1, King James. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And in the Passion Translation, it sounds like this. As for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us, and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race. And in the Aramaic, the idea is not just a race where the street is cleared. It's an obstacle course. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's life, because not too many of us have clear sailing our whole life. There's some obstacles we got <laughs> get the kids in our way. <laughs> But we can run this race with passion and determination, for the path has been already marked out before us. The great cloud of witnesses are all of those Old Testament saints the writer referred to in chapter 11. I know people want to believe that their loved ones in heaven can see them, but we really don't have any scriptures that say that. (laughs) I think they're much too busy having fun. to be watching what's going on down here. (laughs) But those kind of witnesses are all the people that he spends all of chapter 11 explaining to us, how their faith changed them and their world. And his point is that the lives of the Old Testament saints bore witness or testified to the fact that God has always been pleased with the faith life of believers. Because it has always been faith in the heart of the believer that pleases God. Now, you would think a God who gives you a bunch of rules, you'd think he'd be happy if you just kept the rules. (laughs) But no, that did not make him happy. Because there were many who were keeping the rules the best that they could, sort of, (laughs) but they weren't believing, they weren't trusting. They weren't trusting in God and his mercy and grace. They were entrusting in the fact that they could keep a rule. That's it. They weren't having that intimate relationship with the Father through the Holy Spirit. They could hear Holy Spirit. They just didn't want to. Now, to our ears, that sounds funny. Why wouldn't you want to hear the Holy Spirit? They were afraid to hear Holy Spirit. That's why they told Moses, you go talk to him. He's scary. <laughs> we don't want to do that. They didn't want an intimate relationship. They wanted someone who would represent them without any having any interest in that person's life, which is not what Jesus is. These Old Testament saints trusted God in every circumstance. We saw it all. (laughs) But in every circumstance, God was glorified. Their faith brought forth the power, presence, and promises of God into their lives. Their faith took hold of what God said and said, I'm not letting go. I am having what God says I can have. And even those who were persecuted and killed glorified God by persevering in faith and by never giving up on their God. They trusted God with their lives, and they trusted God with their death. They knew there was much more than just this earthly life. And they trusted themselves into God's hands, even as Christ had done on the cross. when he prayed, into thy hands I commit my spirit. The lives and the testimonies of these Old Testament saints are meant to encourage the Hebrew baby believers that they can, (laughs) they really can, (laughs) persevere in faith in the midst of hardship and persecution. And that their lives will also testify to others around them of the reality of the indwelling Christ through the Holy Spirit. Back to the King James Version Hebrews 12.1 Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now most translations say let us lay aside every weight but the literal translations actually say Having already laid aside. (laughs) Having already laid aside. It's a finished work. (laughs) If you have Christ, you have laid aside the power of those weights. (laughs) It's done. And it's in the past tense. It is as if it is a prerequisite of running our grace race through faith. It's so important to understand finished work. And, of course, this actually makes perfect sense because a runner needs to be as free as possible from whatever would hinder him in his faith and trust in God in order to achieve the greatest success. So he must first deal with those weights in order to be able to run effectively and end continuously. Because the faith walk, the faith life, is not something you do in 10 minutes. <laughs> It's an ongoing forever process (laughs) of relationship, (laughs) and it's not hard, and it's not difficult, and it's the best thing for us. I also really like the way the passion translation of this sentence, because it describes what kind of weight has the power to hinder our faith, in a sense, so we must let go of every wound." that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. This sounds very different from the King James, but I like the fact that the Aramaic has this nuance that we can go, oh, it's not just a weight, it's a specific weight. (laughs) The idea that the Passion wants to convey is that a painful arrow that has pierced the runner to be, and the tip of the arrow is still inside. The picture that this word paints is a runner has been shot with an arrow, and the end of it has been broken off. The tip remains inside, and it weighs him down. So this is a physical picture of internal emotional and physical pain. And I think it really points to more the emotional pain. When something or someone hurts us in some way, it is very easy to fall into unforgiveness and bitterness, or also into sadness and grief. And these negative emotions can sometimes work very much like one of our kitchen sink stoppers. When we want to stop the water from running out, we put the stopper in. And these negative emotions can work like that in our hearts. They can stop the flow of God's grace through us. But it can never stop the power of God's grace to us. Which is good for us. (laughs) Because if we're hurt and angry, (laughs) we are definitely in need of our Father's grace to heal our hearts. And our Father is always trying to get us to believe his word to us so that we can apprehend by faith whatever we have need of. So if we're withholding the grace of forgiveness or kindness, we have stopped operating in faith in our Father's grace. Because by grace, our Father is able to turn all things for good for those who love him and trust him. We don't really like that scripture as much as we think we would. (laughs) Because that means there's not good things that happen in our life. And we would rather that not be the case. God should just protect everything and make everything nice and easy for us, right? Isn't that why we came to Jesus? (laughs) No. (laughs) We came to Jesus because we need Jesus to walk and live this earthly life. (laughs) So, unforgiveness and bitterness mostly just works to hurt us and get us To be looking at a circumstance or an issue or a problem, it takes away our focus from where it should be. Because looking at the problem never works. (laughs) Looking at the problem never fixes the problem. Whatever the problem is. It is like with Moses in the desert all those years ago when the people started grumbling and complaining and the serpents came out and bit them. And they finally decided, hmm, maybe we should stop talking against Moses and God. (laughs) And see if Moses will intercede for us. And of course Moses does. And he tells Moses to make a serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up. And tell the people that if they will just look unto the serpent. Which is a picture of the curse. And see that the curse is on the pole that their healing will manifest. When you see that your sin is on the cross, when you see that your sickness is on the cross, when you see that your deficiencies are on the cross, we can stop looking at the deficiencies and look to the cross. He's the answer. He's always the answer. So unforgiveness and bitterness just mostly hurt us. And they do nothing for the person we're mad at. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) All it does is mess us up. (laughs) doesn't fix anything. (laughs) That's why it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time to live in unforgiveness. Our Father doesn't hold our sins against us. We have that same power and ability through Christ to not hold people's sins against them. Now, that doesn't mean you let them You know, truck through your life and mess it up. (laughs) Just means you're free from those negative emotions. It's not my job to punish anybody. It's not my job to pay anybody back. It's not my job to complain about them to God. (laughs) I need to release them into God's hands. And understand that that's the best place in the world for them, is in God's hands. So, also, grief, sadness and grief can sometimes push us over into unbelief, too, when we don't see relief or change as quickly as we'd like. And then there's the sin we so easily fall into. I want you to notice that it does not say sins. It doesn't say sins, plural. It says sin, singular. So, it's a very specific sin from which all other sins arise. And it's the sin of unbelief. Most of the unbelief we experience is caused by our natural senses. Because of our physical brain, we tend to believe more in what we can see, hear, and feel than we do in God's Word to us. Now, it's not on purpose. (laughs) It's just what happens to us because of the natural carnal thinking if I'm declaring I am healed, I have received the healing of the Lord and healing is going to manifest in my body and I'm going to persevere until that manifestation comes. My body is going to talk back to me. In fact, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) Years ago, when I was trying to apprehend healing for fibromyalgia, I can see now, I was in the process of learning back then, but I can see now that I kept receiving my healing over and over again. (laughs) But then I would have a conference with my body and my brain (laughs) to see if God had actually done anything. Because I thought God was going to do something in the future. No, I didn't understand. He's already provided. It's already done. So here I am. I am getting my scriptures, and I am fighting like crazy, and I believe I got it, and then I check my body. And my body says, nope. (laughs) We don't feel any different. Must not have worked. So why would God not heal me? He wouldn't not heal me. (laughs) He's already healed me. He's already provided everything I need for life and godliness. But I have to actually believe that. Even when my body and brain say, no, that didn't actually happen. My body and my brain don't know what's true. My spirit man knows what's true. The word of God knows what's true. And the spirit will bear witness with God's word for us. It was the hardest part of getting healed. Was learning to stay in the finished work. That this is a finished work. Because I kept going, I've got it, I've got it. Oh, no I don't. And I wobbled back and forth. I'm healed. Yay, God. Nope. Feel like garbage today. Therefore, I'm not healed. No, that's not how it works. (laughs) We take hold of what God has already provided, his grace. And we pull it into the natural by believing God's word over and above any other voice. But that was the hardest thing, was to actually continue to believe. I got healed over and over and over again. I was, you know, laid out in this service and laid out on that service, and I kept receiving. <laughs> and then it's something that would talk me out of it. The problem wasn't with God. The problem was with my understanding. I was the problem. <laughs> my physical body and brain was the problem. But if I don't know that. That it's just that I have all this unbelief that's been sown into my brain for years and years. If I don't know that that's my issue, stuff that I don't even know that I believe, then I'm going to blame God. And if I'm too holy to do that, <laughs> in cheek, <laughs> then I'm going to blame me. I must not be good enough. I must not have enough faith. No, 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 no. Jesus said, you need this much faith <laughs> to move a mountain. Teeny, tiny little mustard seed. But see, I was taught, no, you've got to have great faith. You've got to have big faith. You've got to have strong faith. Come on, you've got to work on that faith. I tried. I was succeeding off and on. <laughs> when well, I wasn't talking myself out of what belonged to me. <laughs> But faith is what God does in us. It's his job to create faith. Because the word faith simply means to be persuaded. That's all it means. It's not a magic wand. <laughs> and sometimes we treat faith like it's a magic wand. That if I just have the right magic wand or a bigger magic wand, <laughs> but I can wave that over anything and get everything. It's not like that. It's what Jesus does in us. It is what happens to us, and belief happens to us, as we walk in this natural world, and we walk in this natural body. Because our natural programming will always tell us to look at the natural, to believe that first, instead of believing the spiritual first. One of the really important things I did learn through all of that was that the problem was not in my spirit. The problem was not in my who. The problem was in my brain. It was a belief. It's a belief system. And that's why he says, renew your mind to the truth of God's word. Because believing the truth is what causes faith to arise in our heart. We believe what God says, That is a finished work. So faith rises up and grabs hold of whatever it is we're believing for and brings it into the natural. But you see, again, most of the time, Christians are so good at beating themselves up. (laughs) I don't have enough faith. Do I have enough faith? I actually remember standing in service and asking God, do I have enough faith to get healed? Should I go up to that altar call? Do I have enough faith? I don't feel like I have enough faith. That's because faith is not a feeling. It's a belief. It's having been persuaded by the voice of God. So there's nothing wrong with our spirit man. He's, as we just heard, perfect and righteous. There's nothing wrong with our who. We don't need to be fixed. We just need God to open our eyes to the truth. And that's what he loves to do. Uh, Once I got the revelation that who I am is not the problem, because I'm perfect now (laughs) in my spirit. I'm perfect now in my spirit. So I don't have to change me. I don't have to change anything about me. Self-effort does not produce change that lasts. Christ, however, produces change that lasts. So anyway, after I got the revelation that it wasn't me, that it was my belief system, not all the garbage the world had sown into my brain, <laughs> what I chose to do to get rid of the unbelief, not build my faith, to get rid of unbelief, was I kept listening to healing messages, healing testimonies. Your faith in you will jump up and take hold. (laughs) You just keep believing. I knew my problem was unbelief. But it didn't leave immediately, so that can be a little disheartening. If I don't understand that it's not a magic wand. Jesus doesn't wave a magic wand over me and make faith arise. Jesus reveals himself and his truth to me, and faith arises. So, I just kept putting in the truth of God's word to get rid of the unbelief. I guess you could say that I was learning to live in something better. Through all of that, I was learning to live in something better, the something better of being faith in Jesus and his finished work. The Passion Translation, chapter 12, verse 1, picking up in the middle, it says, Then we will be able to run life's marathon race obstacle course with passion and determination, for the path has already been marked out before us. Now, the author describes the faith life as a marathon race containing an obstacle course that's already been laid out for them. The runner knows where he's running. Of course, a marathon is a really long race, about 26 miles, and it takes a lot of time, energy, and mental fortitude (laughs) to finish a marathon. If a marathon runner doesn't train his brain what to think during his hardest moments. His anxiety, fear, and negative self-talk, and probably exhaustion, will easily talk him out of continuing the race. That's us. (laughs) Athletes not only train physically for a marathon, they have to train mentally. They have to decide what they're going to think about when they reach a hard spot. Because otherwise, the natural carnal thinking will say, this is too hard. You're so tired. You should probably quit. (laughs) You should give up. This is requiring too much time. You don't have that much time to give. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Your brain will come up with dozens of reasons why you should quit. Because this is too hard. And it's taking too long. But, We can be like a marathon runner. You see, we usually can tell what it is we need to be thinking about or focusing on in the midst of something that's hard. The answer is always Jesus (laughs) and the truth of his word. Always, always, always. But God is so personal. He knows how to give you that scripture in a second when you have fear and doubt and unbelief and something bad has happened, like in your family or something, and then that one scripture comes and all that fear, doubt, and runs away. Years ago, my dad had a heart attack. In the middle of the night, my daughter calls me and says, I'm coming to get you. Papa's had a heart attack. And first thing's like, oh, Jesus, because that fear came. I was like, no, I know you. You're not getting in. (laughs) Lord, speak to me. Well, I had had a a little box of scriptures that you put on your kitchen table. And when I would go for a walk with my dog, I would take one with me. And then try to memorize it while I'm walking with my dog. Well, one of the things that I had memorized was, let not your heart be troubled. Yes and amen. (laughs) You hear me, Dad? You're not going to let your heart be troubled. Your heart belongs to Jesus. You're going to get a new heart. (laughs) We're not doing that. (laughs) And he had had an incident. He had a mild heart attack, so he did end up having surgery. But what's amazing about that is that his body grew new arteries. He didn't know that. (laughs) Your body will grow new arteries if you need them. (laughs) (laughs) talk about miraculous it's amazing what God can do but in that moment I didn't need any fear, doubt or unbelief because I'm taking hold of what has already been given and I'm pulling it into the natural for another person so I spoke to his heart he believes God can heal he just doesn't believe that he really wants to (laughs) So I was believing for him. I was believing for him. When he went to the hospital, my mom, at the time, she had MS and she couldn't be left alone. (laughs) And I was afraid that he would die and she would be left alone. I'm thinking, how do I take care of my mom if my dad goes? And I had fear. So I went to the Lord, you've got to talk to me. I need to renew my mind. What is, what do you say? What do you say about this? He will remain until your mom goes home. And since God said it, I decided to believe it. <laughs> and he's still here, even though my mom's in heaven. <laughs> my daughter keeps telling them, you've got to last 10 more years. So she keeps talking to him. <laughs> but if we don't control our brain, our brain will control us. It will tell you when you're hungry, when you aren't actually hungry. It will tell you you need chocolate. (laughs) When you don't really need chocolate. (laughs) If we don't control our brain, our brain will control us. We are supposed to rule over our brain and our body from the spirit realm. But the word of God is where we run to. It is his word to us that changes everything. So, if we don't train our brain with the truths of the finished work of Christ, our negative carnal thinking can begin to thwart our faith. It brings in that fear, doubt, and unbelief. And we can end up talking ourselves out of what Jesus has already provided. And this was true for the Hebrew baby believers as well. They had to continue in faith while waiting on their timing Of their planned escape from the judgment that would come upon Jerusalem. And because of the severity of the persecution that they were suffering. And the lack of understanding of the finished work. They were getting wobbly. (laughs) In their faith. So they started looking for an easy way out of suffering. Which is exactly what your carnal brain will tell you. This hurts. Run. But pain can actually be good for you. Pain is a good thing because it tells us something is wrong we're we're not seeing things from God's point of view we have negative emotions it usually means we're not seeing the truth of who we are and who Jesus is and what he's done so they figured out that it would probably be easier to go back into Judaism and hide <laughs> rather than continue to be known as a Christian so they of course were thinking about going back into Judaism, which wouldn't work. That's the thing about our brain. Our brain will come up with these great ideas about how to solve a problem and get us into an even bigger one. <laughs> they were gonna jump out of the frying pan into the fire if they went back into Judaism because all of the temple and 90 some percent of all the, the unbelieving Jews would be destroyed. But what they needed to do was what a marathon runner does. They needed to focus on the now instead of the finish line. When I read that about a marathon runner, at first I thought, that doesn't sound right. Because doesn't everybody always tell you, keep your eye on the finish line? That's your goal. (laughs) That doesn't really work very well, because if you're on mile one, of a marathon, and your brain says, uh oh, let's rest, let's sit down, maybe quit. <laughs> Focusing on the goal is not going to get you up and running. You need something that's present now to get you up and running. They needed to look to the now reality of Jesus Christ in the life, the now reality of the finished work. They needed something right then, right at that moment, and that's always Jesus. My father had a heart attack, in that moment, his word came, and fear left. It's in the moment, it is the right now. Jesus is always right now. So they needed to look away from their persecution and focus on Jesus and his finished work. They needed to let the voice of the Holy Spirit encourage them that they were not forgotten, and that they really could do all things through Christ, who strengthens them. It's one thing to quote that verse. It's another thing to live it. (laughs) Because you cannot strengthen yourself. You have to hear the voice of your Father in your Jesus. Because when he speaks, faith is instantaneous. They could continue to run their race with confidence in their Jesus in spite of the persecution, because Jesus is a very present help in time of trouble. We can always look to him right now and hear him right now, so that he can remind us that the victory that we want to see is in fact a finished work. He is bringing forth that work in us. And as believers in Jesus, these Hebrew baby believers had continual access to the throne of grace where they could both receive God's tender mercies and God's empowering grace. I love the the word mercy in the New Testament. When we hear the word mercy, we think God is not giving me what I deserve. That's not what it means. The word in the Greek is actually compassion. God's tender mercies is God's compassion, co-passion. The thing about compassion is compassion moves you to do something. If I have compassion on somebody who's in, like in Haiti, a bad, if that reaches my heart, I will have to do something <laughs> to help those who are suffering. I won't be able, see, if I have compassion, I won't be able to leave that person in their suffering. That's Jesus. Jesus doesn't leave us in our suffering. He co-passions with us. He knows that this life has obstacles. This life has pains. This life has difficulties. But he is the ever-present help in time of trouble. Always, 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 he will speak to you in that second. He will get rid of that fear, doubt, and unbelief. He will take you into what he has for you if we do not quit, <laughs> if we don't stop the race at you know mile one, <laughs> or even mile 25. Imagine how tired you are at mile 25. You've got nothing. You've spent everything. There's nothing more to give but Jesus. That's Jesus. He comes in with his grace because we go to the throne of grace to get grace his absolutely free, loving kindness, and his great mercy, his co-passion, his interference in us and for us. Now, the Hebrew baby believers already had their strategy from Jesus regarding leaving Jerusalem prior to its destruction, but they didn't know the day or the hour. So they needed to continue in faith one day at a time, and sometimes it was probably more like one minute at a time. When you're trying to do something hard and it's taking a long time, you have a tendency to look at the clock. (laughs) When am I going to be done with this? (laughs) We're always looking to get out from underneath the pressure. When sometimes what we need to do is stay under the pressure and let Jesus be our now compassion in our life. And we do that by taking Jesus at his word and letting Jesus persuade our hearts to believe. They needed to let Jesus persuade their hearts that the promises were sure and were definitely going to come to pass. When you've never seen everything you have ever known destroyed, it's hard to imagine. Yet that is what the apostles were speaking to the early church. This Moses stuff, this giant temple, it's all legal. Don't put your confidence in that. Don't put your confidence in anything in the physical. You've got to let go of all of that stuff, all that's material, and place all your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. By doing that, they would have the confidence or faith to endure cheerfully. We don't like that word, endure. We like the word avoid. (laughs) We want to avoid stuff. Cheerfully. We we don't really want to endure cheerfully. <laughs> That's exactly what patient means. Cheerful endurance. Not moaning, groaning, and complaining endurance. <laughs> Would we do that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why we have to renew our mind and train our brain to think the promises of God. So they could endure cheerfully or run patiently until the promise came to pass, all the while knowing that their lives were also testimonies to the reality of Christ within them, just like the Old Testament heroes of faith. Their enduring by faith mattered to those around them, as well as to Jesus and the Father. Jesus and the Father care about absolutely everything in our life and they are always trying to lead us into all truth, so that we can live in something better. Enduring by faith takes maturity. Because if we are immature and we're having to endure, we're gonna sit down and quit. It's too hard. Maturity knows how to remain. To keep at it. To keep being where you're supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to be doing, even when it's uncomfortable. And for the Hebrew baby believers, maturity was about to be fully developed in their understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished through his death, burial and resurrection, and who they were in Christ. This is what the Hebrew baby believers needed. And guess what the church needs? The exact same thing. Who Jesus is in all of his glory and what he has accomplished through the finished work of the cross and who we really are now and into Christ. A mature believer is one who has learned how to wait for what they want by waiting upon the Lord and trusting his word to them. The race was already marked out for the Hebrew baby believers. They knew they would be leaving everything they had ever known behind, but they would also be entering into something better, and that something better was freedom, both spiritually and physically. Chapter 12, verse 2, in the King James, says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And in the Passion, we look away from the natural realm, and we fasten our gaze unto Jesus, who birthed faith within us, and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation, and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of grace. The Greek word translated as looking in the King James is actually better translated in the Passion, because it actually means to look away from. Look away from, not from Jesus. But like the Passion says, look away from the natural realm and fasten, fasten your gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us. Jesus is the one who persuades our hearts to believe, to believe him and his word to us. When he speaks, if we're willing to hear whatever he wants to say to us, we'll hear him. And in that instant, it can change our world even if it's something as simple as let not your heart be troubled. That changed my world. That changed my mom's world. And that changed my dad's world. When we look away from Jesus, we start looking at our circumstances and our negative emotions, or even at our own faith, which is really dumb. (laughs) And that very quickly can stir up unbelief thinking that I have to produce faith when I was never meant to produce faith, regarding whatever promise we are believing to apprehend. Because the natural realm very often presents a contradictory picture of what we're believing to have manifested in our life. So we see something that says, no, that's not true in the natural, but in the Word of God and in Christ Jesus, that Word is absolutely true, and we can come into manifestation. So faith, or being fully persuaded in our hearts of the truthfulness and faithfulness of God and his word to us, is what Jesus does in us as we seek him, his will and his word. He is the author, or the chief leader, or the prince of faith. Faith is what he does. (laughs) All faith starts with him and all faith ends with him. It's all about him and his finished work on the cross. And because of the finished work of Christ, we don't have to bother trying to earn or merit anything from our Father. We don't have to look at ourselves in any way shape or form. We don't have to work hard at trying to believe his word. Have you tried that one? Oh, I'm believing hard. <laughs> I know, silly, isn't it? <laughs> We just keep looking to him and the written and spoken word, and he's the one who causes our hearts to believe what he reveals to us. It's his work in us. He's the great persuader of the human heart. And the more we let Jesus persuade our hearts, the more unbelief is diminished and overcome and vanquished. Also, Jesus is the finisher and the completer of our faith. I really like how the Passion puts that in verse 2. It says, we fasten our gaze onto Jesus. Ooh. It doesn't mean we just look at him a little bit. <laughs> he is our focus. He is our everything. We fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. The word perfection is where we get the idea of completeness. So as long as we keep looking unto Jesus, he is the one who provides us with faith that is complete. It lacks nothing because it's his work in us, but it is also progressive. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more opportunity he has to persuade our hearts regarding the truths of the new covenant and the promises that he has made to us. I like what Andrew Womack says, we do not have a faith problem. We have an unbelief problem, which is caused by either the natural carnal realm of what we can see, hear, and feel, or by a lack of knowledge. And both are overcome by looking unto Jesus and his word. Now, Jesus is also the perfect example of perseverance in the midst of hardship and persecution. In the Passion Translation, Hebrews 12, 2b, says this. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation, and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus told us that he and the Father were one. So part of the reason Jesus came to earth was so that we could finally see what God was really like. Jesus is the expressed image and heart of the Father. And what the Father wanted, the Son also wanted. Together they wanted to rescue humanity from the presence and power of indwelling sin. They wanted us to be able to know them as they really are and they wanted us to enter into their eternal life and their unconditional love for us in and through the Holy Spirit. And there was only one way for that to come to pass. Jesus would become a man and go to the cross and taste death for every man and then be raised to eternal life by his Father. And they did this together so that they could have a family of born-again, spirit-filled sons who also bear the image of the invisible God in their new creation identity. But Jesus was and is completely human, as well as being completely God. And dying on a cross was not going to be easy. And we can see Jesus' real human emotions in Mark chapter 14, verses 32-36, through 36, as he prepares to face the cross the following day. I have it for you in the Remedy Version, and it says this, Mark 14, beginning with verse 32. When they arrived at Gethsemane, Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John with him. Soon he was in deep anguish and emotional distress. And he told them, my heart is breaking with overwhelming sadness. I feel like I'm dying inside. Please stay here and stay alert. Going a short distance farther, Jesus fell to the ground and asked that if possible, this burden might be taken from him. And he cried out, Papa, Daddy, it hurts so bad. Please, I know you can do anything. Please, take this cup from me. But Daddy, Not as my feelings desire. Do only what is in harmony with your will. Jesus trusted his Father completely with his life and with his death. And even with his suffering. Jesus knew what the plan was, but if there was another way to accomplish God's will, he surely wouldn't have minded not being nailed to a cross. (laughs) But Jesus knew the Father's heart for mankind, and his heart was the same. He wanted to save humanity just as much as the Father did. But it's a very human desire to try to avoid suffering, and the Father knew that for well. But what Jesus did is what we should do. We go to our Father and let him reveal to our hearts his will for us in our particular situation. Passion Translation, chapter 12, verse 2b. So for the joy set before him, the joy of having us as his brothers and sisters, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus never regretted submitting himself to his father and his father's plan, and neither will we. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. If Jesus could endure his sufferings by trusting the voice and the heart of his Father, then so could the hebrew baby believers. Whatever trouble or painful situations were happening to them, their hearts could be calmed and assured by looking unto Jesus and their Heavenly Father. The throne of grace was and is always open. Their lives could glorify Jesus even in the midst of suffering. If suffering comes our way, Jesus has the grace to empower us to endure it and to glorify God in the midst of it. I don't believe that our Father sends sufferings into our lives on purpose. I believe he's just willing to make use of the suffering that comes our way to help bring our faith into maturity. Maturity is able to wait. That's why Jesus would consent to go to the cross and submit to whatever God had for him. He knew how to trust his father in everything. All that the writer of Hebrews has covered in this letter so far is intended to correct the natural, carnal, Old Testament thinking of the Hebrew baby believers and to bring them into maturity in their faith and that maturity begins and ends with Jesus and his word to us. Jesus is our something better. He's better than angels. He's better than the Old Testament prophets. He's better than Moses. His priesthood is better than Aaron's. His covenant is better than the one Moses had. And his blood is better than that of bulls and goats. In every way and at every turn, Jesus is better. And though we might not like hardship and persecution, we, like Jesus, can endure whatever obstacle course we are on by trusting in the voice and the will of our Heavenly Father. Now, unfortunately, we can't stop all the hardships or persecution from coming into our lives. But that doesn't mean we have to be overcome by them either. Everyone experiences hardship or suffering. But not everyone is able to endure it. Many let their suffering overtake them and talk them out of their something better. If hardship and suffering come knocking at our doors, our something better... Our Jesus can persuade our hearts that it's always better to persevere in faith than it is to let unbelief and negative emotions talk us out of persevering in our faith. Persevering in faith will bring forth hope, our confident expectation of our Father and our Jesus empowering us to continue and to take God at his word so that in all things, Christ is glorified. In all things, in all things, Jesus is supreme, amen? Father, I thank you that your word says you are able to deliver us out of all tribulation. You never promised to remove tribulation. In you promised we would have some. And I thank you, Father God, that nothing is bigger than you. Nothing is better than you. You and Jesus are all we need for life and Godliness. And we thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE G-I-V-E to 833 632 1315 where you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through paypal or credit card the cornerstone scripture for triumphant grace ministries is found in hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14 for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy great grace such grace triumphant grace to you god bless you